Welcome to my podcast from Highclere Castle. Yet again, I'm sitting outside underneath my podcast tree, this wonderful evergreen oak, looking back at the castle in a lovely summer's afternoon. And I've got a very special guest today who has long preceded me at the castle. His name is Eddie Hughes and he was head keeper here. Eddie, thank you so much for joining me today. How did you come to work here? Did you have an interview or how did you begin your life at Highclere? No, I was cutting an edge. Really led from my house to, to a neighbouring wood and Lord Carnarvon and his agent, that was the 6th Earl, yeah. came walking across the field with his agent. His agent then was Miss Stubbins. He said, uh, I understand you've been helping with the rearing field, rearing the pheasants, the keepers. I said, yes, that's right, my lord. And uh, he said, uh, would you like to carry on? Would you like to do that as a... I said, I'd love to, I said, but I've got a bit longer to go to school yet. And Miss Stubbins' agent said, well, if we can get you off of school, said, would you like to start? I said, by all means, straight away. And I didn't think no more of it. And uh, two nights later, the Miss Stubbins, the agent, she turned up at the door and said, you can start Monday morning. So how old were you, Eddie, at that stage? I was can 14 I then. You were 14. Yeah. So you were not unhappy to leave school? No, not at all, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, then on Monday morning I went and started, and in those days it was all open rearing with broody ends. There was no, none of this... Uh, chicken farming as you put it is all broody ends I started Monday morning it uh, ran about half past six in the morning so you were out first of all feeding and watering and That's what time what, of year was this Eddie what time of year uh, did you start this was round about July I should July. say no June something like that so you'd sort of completed that year of school yeah. and then you were off and yeah. out so where were you living at the time I was living across with the main road straight out from the main gate straight across the main road oh, to right. where my brother now lives right not a long commute a few hundred yards no not a long no and that was the way I started at Eichler but I started with some of the the real old keepers on here that worked here on with the fifth Earl's time so the fifth Earl of Carnarvon was the man who discovered Tutankhamun's tomb. He sadly died out in Cairo and he was brought back here to be buried. And you know part of that story as well, don't you? I do. I know the, the man that drove the steam engine. What was he called? He was called Ted Cummings. And he drove the steam engine pulling the hearse. Pulling, That's right. Per, pulling the, the trailer with the coffin on up from the far end of the beacon all the way along the top to, to where he's now laid to rest. The fifth Earl wanted to be buried at the top of Beacon Hill, which is in the centre of this old ancient Iron Age fort, which goes back to perhaps 1500 BC. And, and he looks down on there for all throughout all his beloved Highclere. It is the most amazing burial place, actually. It really is. Presumably all the keepers followed the hearse up the beacon, did they? I don't know about that. I've never heard anything about that. I, I don't know. I'm only going by what Ted. Yes. But there was a, a lot of followers that followed the earth from the far end. That was before the new main road was there. That was the same gate they went through there that my mother looked over the gate to see the first flight of Diablin. 
where she sat on the gate. Wow, oh my goodness. So the first flight to Havilland was in September 1910, which I know very well. So she was sitting on the gate watching him take off. She was that, is the old school. She went to Berkeley School in yes. those days. And the old school room had a, a morning off to walk from Berkeley School down to Diablin there. To, well, we call it Diablin now. Yes. Down to there to watch her, him taking off there. So he came down the hill towards them, down the shoulder of the beacon, did he? And then took off and over what is now the A34. Or... That's right, yes, yeah, exactly, said. yeah. And yeah. then did he circle around? What, what does she say happened next? Well, they, they all sat on the gate watching and they were amazed because they'd never seen anything flying before. How extraordinary. And that was uh, Diablin himself that lived at Crux Easton. Well, yeah. Golly, this, this this estate has seen so much, hasn't yeah. it? So how many keepers were there here when you began then? There was eight of us on eight here when I when I first came on here. Yeah, yeah. And that was the time of the sixth Earl who certainly enjoyed the his shooting Earl. and his racing. And it was all private in them days, no right. no let shooting at all. He usually shot on a, on a Friday and Saturday in November and December. Away you go to Bahamas usually. Uh, in January? In January, yeah. Sounds a pretty good life <laughs> to me. <laughs> I think he did have a good life. He yeah. did live through two world wars, but he yeah. was a different world from what it is today. I loved him it? because I went all over the place loading for him and he was a dream. dream. Well, he, I think he was a quite extraordinary man. My husband, Shorty, tells so many stories. Yeah about his grandfather they they all make me laugh but he was quite sharp with people i think sometimes in the field oh, yeah. as well oh yeah he'd fly up in the air one minute and he's as right as rain the next minute <laughs> you just know nothing had happened <laughs> he'd give you the biggest telling off one minute and now you my friend come along with me we're going so and so the partridge and pheasant shoot at highclere today was really begun by the fifth earl of carnarvon as one of the most extraordinary and best private shoots in england at the edwardian time and some of the best shots the best guns came here it was a sport which was much um, enjoyed by king edward the seventh who also came here as a guest to stay and really the tradition of the shoot in the estate has been carried on through different head keepers and then with the Earls of Carnarvon until today, and it still continues today. It's a real way of exploring the estate, of welcoming people for guests for weekends and, and bringing people together. It's, it's a really special time and being out in the countryside with a shoot, with some of the best sporting drives, is just such a joy. In the old days, the 6th Earl, he'd start off, he'd be away on the 11th of August, ready to start shooting either with Lord Derby or Lord Sefton on the 12th of August. Yeah. And he'd be away sometimes a fortnight towards the end. I went with him occasionally, but then he'd come back here and then partridge shooting would start. And in the old days, it was all grey partridge here and there'd be a lot of partridge around. Then you'd be party shooting for about three weeks on and off, different days. Then you get into the outside days on the pheasants and get more grander days as the season went on. Pheasant shooting starts on the 1st of October and party shooting on the 1st of September. So it went from grouse, partridge to pheasant. And part of the weekend house parties usually involved a shoot in the autumn, winter months, and it still does to a certain extent today. There is a whole way of bringing people in to treat your friends and guests to a really lovely day out. Part of it is the food, a really good breakfast before we start, and then we have elevens out in the field, 
and then lunch back in the castle. I often go out with the elevenses because there's always so much to do in the house after everyone's gone out. And rather than rush, I can then sort the house out, sort out the lunch guests, work out who's coming and going before I join at elevenses when there's particularly good sausage rolls and usually a very good soup and some slow gin which is very appropriate. I, should, I must make some with our Highcliffe Castle gin soon. And then we come back for lunch. When I first came here, actually, Eddie, I didn't know the names of the fields or the woods or where you were going. And sometimes I got completely lost. Oh. And I remember it would take me an hour and a half. And by the time I got there, I was feeling completely like <laughs> crying. And Geordie was completely and utterly unhelpful. And he would just say, well, for goodness sake, you know, how blonde are you or something particularly irritating. <laughs> but then after that, I set off with a girlfriend. So if we got lost, we could just chat together. So it didn't particularly matter as we found our ways round. But I think now I'm a little better. At one point, Keith very kindly tied some ribbons or yellow ribbons or left some gates open so I could find where you'd gone out to after lunch because by the time I finished up after lunch and sorted things out again, I was always the last out of the castle and the last to arrive. But now I think I'm a little bit more organised. I love taking the dogs out. And Stella, one of my Labradors, is proving to be a really nice little gun dog. I think she could be really, really good. So that's yeah, quite yeah, exciting for yeah, me, yeah. actually, going forward. When I was a boy, the lunchtime then, when partridge shooting early on in September, there was always a marquee erected where they was going to finish up before lunch. And the, the butlers, had, um, the, the main butler and the relief butler, well they called him relief butler, Alf his name was, they used to come out and serve lunch in this marquee tent. I think that was on Partridge Day. I think it's such a lovely idea, and I've thought of perhaps using an area by Mopper's Barn to do that because yeah. it, it's so beautiful down there. I'll tell you where they very often uh, on a Partridge Day was one put on the end of the beacon. That would be a lovely thing to do, but I thought on an ongoing basis, I probably can't, but, but I thought by reusing some of those amazing old barns and the space there might be a, a nice thing to do, actually. So yeah. another project, but perhaps not quite yet. <laughs> In the time of the sixth earl and the marquees and the butler and the relief butler, I imagine everything had to be done to a very high standard, wasn't it? Right to the feet? high standards, yeah. Even the planning of the shoot on uh, the pheasant days, you you'd get there'd be two keepers i'd be driving the, the, the jeep go around the drives before time and he'd sit next door to me i'd drive and the head keeper would be in the back in those days i was the only under keeper there we'd go around and he'd have his secretary there and he'd be writing down she'd be taking notes of the, the, the drives and he'd also place the guns on the pegs and when the guns started out in the morning they'd have a, a card there with all their names and the numbers of each drive on it Wow, I'm sure my husband would love to do that, but he's he's got too much work to do. We had a lot of fun on a shoot day, Mm. a lot of fun. We had an head keeper here who I I succeeded after him, took over from him, and he was always, give us a sweet, give us a sweet, he'd say. And uh, I I said this day, I said, I haven't got any, Dave, anyway. In my waistcoat pocket, I had a trick sweet there, and when you eat it, you went all blue round the face, and the vapour made it go all blue round and this day, the Queen was there, a guest of Lord Carnarvon's father. 
He always insisted that the headkeeper at the end of the day went and said goodnight to the Queen. It was on the last drive at night when we gave him this sweet. He'd, he'd gone blue, he looked like a clown sat in the trailer. <laughs> and uh, one of the beaters kept on, you know, he wouldn't let it drop and he picked it up. Everybody kept on then and he knew then that he must have been really blue around him. And he was getting really edgy and it would come to the end of the drive and he was going through the wood trying to rub his spine <laughs> of course the more he rubbed it the worse it got <laughs> and when he went to say shake hands with the queen at night he was going like, like this <laughs> but he was yeah. hiding his face yeah, behind his he arm. was very embarrassed, very embarrassed did lord carnarvon notice or say anything or it, did he pass it off <laughs> geordie's father knew all about it yeah. right yeah. <laughs> Do you think the Queen noticed, Eddie? <laughs> um, she must have noticed, yeah. She must have noticed because um, I think she was too much of a lady to ask about it. <laughs> 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 well, I thought he had some dreaded disease coming on. So that sounds a most memorable shoot. <laughs> it was one he could always take a joke, that headkeeper, though. He had a catcher at the bottom of Dog Canal Hill there, on that little pond there. And uh, Anyway, I knew he had this catcher and I had a little yellow duck and I went and throw a plastic yellow duck <laughs> and I went and uh, throw this catcher we were shooting on the last day of January this was when he came in the yard in the morning I put this plastic duck in in the catcher there and I didn't say nothing anyway he come in in the morning he said here he said I had a had a good catch this morning I said, uh, what was that, Dave? And he said, uh, I caught a duck. He said, when I lifted the lid, he said, it went Hong Kong, Hong Kong, because it had Hong Kong stamped on the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I remember there was Dave Radwell, and b before Dave Radwell, was that Tommy Richardson then? No, was there one before in Radwell, there was a keeper here called Sir Rowe. Right. He came from Chatsworth down here. Right. To, to work. He didn't last... About three years, I think it was. Tommy's never had keeper. Tommy was an underkeeper, but he'd been here all his life. Right. So who was the head keeper in the time of the fifth hole then? Spicer. Fred Spicer. He was before Sir Rowe. And then before that, it would be one of the Mabers. It, it'd be Charlie Maber, Maber. Basil's Charlie father. Maber. Yes. So would it be... Fred Spicer, who'd have been here just before the fifth L died, then would he have been head keeper at that stage, or would no, that have been no? Maybe was here when that the was fifth Mabel. died. Charlie Maber. Charlie Maber. Tommy Richardson. He used to always load for the fifth Earl. Oh, did he? Yeah, and he told me that he's walking down the avenue there, avenue of limes there, walking down there at night, and he said to Tommy, he said. Put, give the guns a good oil in, Tommy, he said, and put them away, he said, because I'm now going to um, Cairo. He said, yeah, I write like that, and he said, that's it for this year. And uh, I was walking down the avenue when he said that to him, and that was the last time Tommy saw Lord Carnarvon. Yes, because he went back in January, and then there was the grand opening in February, yeah. and sadly then died until he came back in the that's right. coffin, yeah. as you've described. So presumably the fifth L was a very good shot, wasn't he? He was one of the best shots of his so time. So they tell me, yeah. Yes. Yes. But his son, the sixth L, loved shooting, and he was a well-practised shot. Oh, yeah. Good shot. yeah. He was very Victorian, very Victorian, the sixth L. In he, what way? What in, do you mean? He expected everything like in the old Victorian days. 
really first out in Abbey ways. He, he, he actually lived those days. I can remember him being away grouse shooting once. I wasn't here, but Robert, the, the butler, he just had 10 days away grouse shooting with him. And when he came in, dropped, Robert dropped him off at the front door, came on round to go into the yard at the back there. And uh, he went in and he said to Robert, where are the clocks going? He said, well, I've been with you this last 10 days. <laughs> he didn't know why the clocks were wound up. He was very eccentric like that, a bit Yes, and I gather he, the six Earl, also used to um, turn the lights out after supper to save electricity. Uh, he did, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd even turn them out with guests in there. He didn't want to waste electric. <laughs> <laughs> but I gather he, the, he, Robert Taylor, the butler again, used to appear with a silver platter of torches. So he had the butler, the silver platter That's of the right, torches, yeah, but the torch on, <laughs> the yeah. lights were turned out exactly. in their rooms. Different times. Well, I think I still turn the lights out whenever I see them on, oh, actually. Yeah. So very sensible way to go. It's just expensive and I try and turn the heating off as much as possible too but I quite like sleeping with my windows open and the air coming oh, in I so yeah. um, my husband prefers them shut so we have this little argument about how cold the bedroom is <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie you worked as an underkeeper for some number of years and who was the headkeeper at that stage David Radwell his wife's still alive she still lives it I met David actually. He was still living with Maureen at the Cherrycut. Cherrycut Lodge, yeah. And then she, I know she's moved into Kingsley to be near her family after that. That's right. And when did you become head keeper? 1985. That was the end of the sixth Earl's time. He was presumably right, no longer yeah. shooting. I came and it was on my here with Geordie's father. Geordie's father. Yeah. Wow. When did he take the shoot over? I've forgotten all about that. Round about I, that time. About then. that time. It right, be, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a couple of underkeepers. There was four of us only of them in those days. Yeah. When did they start creating a more commercial shoot with some let days? It'd be a couple of years before your husband inherited it. Oh, really? OK, yeah. it was a bit later. Yeah. Well, it sort of defrays some of the costs and keeps the estate together. Well, how long have you lived at Ivory? Since I got married, that would be 1972. Golly, it's a lovely place to live. Ivory Farm is a collection of, of buildings at the south side of Beacon Hill, and you've got this very steep escarpment up to the Iron Age Fort on which the Fifth Earl's grave sits. Where you live, the cottage is, is the most amazing sense of history, I always find it, at the bottom there, and then the lambing sheds are not far away. And then there's some of my husband's yearlings coming in and out there with us That's in the right. winter. Yeah. And all your chickens and your cockerels, which <laughs> it's, it's a really scenic That's alarm clock morning, the, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the cockerels. I think your neighbours, Lauren and Robin, found that harder to start with, yeah, and I think yeah. they've now got I've used, got to, used it. to it. Now, yeah. And you're a great spaniel man, aren't you? Yeah, yes, not so much as Valerie is, but I've always had Labradors. Oh, you've I, been I, Labradors. I always think yeah. of you with masses of they're, they're, Spaniels. They're, I went on to Cockers then. Because I, of course, bought Rosie from you, the first Cocker Spaniel, which I gave to Geordie and Eddie as a Christmas present. Oh, yeah. That's a lot, quite a while ago, but she's going strong. She she's amazing. <laughs> I just think, oh my goodness, she looks a bit stiff. And then I go off round to Red Pools and I walk around the park. And actually, the length of the 
the walk, she, she seems to loosen up. And by the time she's coming back, she's thinking of her food and she's galloping back towards the door. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Quite amazing. I know Navarro's got the Springer Spaniels. That's right. That's right, yeah. isn't it? So how many dogs have you got at the I mean, moment? Ten now, isn't it? Ten. Even more than me, which is marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, my husband can't understand why we've quite got so many dogs. No, well, do over the years, we don't get rid of them, but they get older. We've got young ones coming on, and we've stopped getting any young ones now. We're uh, keeping what we got. Yes. Well, I, I think if I had another dog at the moment, I might not have a husband. <laughs> We'd find it all too many. With the seventh cell, there were some amazing shooting days with the seventh cell, weren't there? He always had a wonderful selection of guests who I remember going round in the car with when, when he was still alive, when I first met my husband. And I remember a very funny scene with Geordie had a, had a little black Labrador at the time which um, jumped out of the car window where he'd left it and landed quite safely. And then the Labrador, I can't remember its name, it lived with Johnny and Ivy, I think, went and collected the birds and moved them round from peg to peg. And I remember yeah, my uh, father-in-law's yeah. language was going completely blue. Uh, was, it was not a happy moment, uh, but it was very, very funny to listen to and to watch. But that's part of the joy of the life out on the estate, yeah. isn't it? So when you were working as head keeper and you just retired, my goodness, two or three months ago now, your day would probably begin quite early, wouldn't it? Half past four every morning. Half past four? Still doing it now. Are you? Still, still says it's half past four. So often, when this time of the year, we go straight and check all the, the birds on the rear field. That was the first thing, to make sure there was no lights out or... Um, what we call lights is the heaters. Yes. Make sure there's no heaters out and they were all warm. Yes. Because the mornings when that's getting light is sometimes really cold. Yes. We'd make sure they all got food and, and water, then go back to breakfast, then uh, we'd then go and fill all the hoppers then, right the way through the rearing field, which took us most of the morning. Yes, and of course you've also been feeding all the wild birds, uh, bird seed as yeah, well. So yeah. it's extraordinary because I think over the last few years with all the different bird seeds and the wildflower banks around the fields and the the different measures that Geordie's taken, I, the diversity of, of birds and animals I think has really increased over the last five it's, to it's ten years. It's come on tremendous there. You, you go down some of the um, strips what's planted for wild bird cover in the winter and they just erupt, especially about three o'clock on a January afternoon, they just erupt, absolutely erupt with finches and gold finches and green, yellow almonds, the whole lot, they're all there together. They are all there. Hundreds and hundreds of them. Do you have a favourite time of year or a favourite job that you love I, to do? I or? used to love the spring rearing. When it started, you, you had all your young stuff coming on in the spring. It's, it's all like, the promise it, and the hope, it, isn't it, uh, of yeah, the future? Yeah. So definitely. The hatching and that, I, I enjoyed that. More so when we open reared, because you was living with nature then, absolutely. Your life then, your, your whole year depended on what the end done, what you put your eggs under. Mm. If she went and screwed them all up, well, that was mm. they were gone. But now it's so much easier with um, incubators. Mm. Yes, it is. And I, I, but I think from being so in touch with nature, perhaps it went slightly away. But I, I do think it's sort of come back again now as the focus of, of the balance and the harmony here. And I think in some ways we're quite lucky because 
the number of footpaths is slightly more controlled because it's usually the dogs off the leashes, isn't it, which yeah. eat all the birds' eggs or disturb everything, which right. truly doesn't help as people go for walks. I, I know people don't mean it and you can't see what they're doing, but it is, it's not allowing nature the peace. To do, no, to come round to, to do what it's supposed to do. It's being upset. How, is there a favourite moment in time when you look back to when you pinch yourself or can't believe that happened? Or It was my hobby. My job was my hobby. I didn't have no other hobbies, did I, at all, and my job was absolutely my hobby. If I, I got bored at home, I jumped in a Land Rover and went and sat up the wood. And you always see something different every day. You know two days are the same. You go sit in the wood and you think, well, coming back out of the wood, you think, well, I've never seen that before. Even after 60 years, you could still do it now. Sometimes if I'm sitting and looking at the bark of a tree, it's just the beauty of the bark and the way it goes up and how the trees have defended themselves against viruses and fungi and managed to survive. There's so much you can learn, isn't there, from just observing oh, what's yes, out there. Oh, yes, exactly, yeah. You probably know the trees far better on this estate than I do. There many that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is an amazing place, and in the summer it can be absolutely beautiful here, can't it? It's one of the best places you could ever be I think. The changing topography here is something I yeah. never tire of and the more I get to know it and walk and walk amongst the trees and the grasses and just spend some time not doing nothing but just being there the more you get to love it uh, actually because yeah. you know it better it's an After tea place. now nights we very often jump in the boat we we'll go and have a ride up round Evans Gate up round there it's beautiful it's, up it's there, in, isn't it? It's in our blood. I feel it's such a privilege to live here and walk around here. I never, ever tire of that, Eddie. I think everybody feels privileged. It, it's mm. lived it directly. I think they all do. Mm. It is amazing, isn't yes. it? Thank you so much, Eddie, for joining me here today. It's been a, such a joy to know you and Val. It really has. And I hope we have many more adventures together, even if you're not formally working here with us. It's a pleasure. If any of you've got any questions from this podcast or wonder further about whatever we've talked about, please do email in. We've set up an email address called podcast at highclearcastle.co.uk or if you also go on to my blog, which is www.ladycarnarvon.com, you can see that every Monday I post a blog and I also try to answer the comments and some of the comments sometimes refer to other questions as well, which I'm delighted to answer. So do share your thoughts with us and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.